Today I want to talk to you about order of operations, order of operations. You can take things that are true and put them in the wrong order and they become a lie. Truths that are out of order amount to lies. I'll give you a very simple example. Three plus four is what? Seven times two is what? But three plus four times two is not 14. Why? Because there's an order of operations in mathematics. And the order of operations stipulates that you do the multiplication before you do the addition. If you do the addition first and then the multiplication, you end up with the wrong answer. Even though 3 plus 4 is 7 and 7 times 2 is 14, 3 plus 4 times 2 is not 14. 4 times 2 is 8 and 3 plus 8 is 11. So the order matters. It's the same thing with biblical truth. There are many biblical truths that if you put them in the wrong order, become a lie. Two truths that actually form the core of the gospel. Truth number one, God so loved the world. That's John 3.16. Truth number two, love the Lord your God. That's Matthew 22.37. But the order matters. If you put Matthew 22.37 first, it goes like this. Love the Lord your God, and God so loved the world. Meaning, if you love the Lord your God, then the Lord your God will love you in return. That becomes a lie. And you end up with something less than a relationship with God. You end up with a religion. And the nature of empty religion is trying to get God to love you by loving him fervently enough serving him intently enough so that he could love you. Trying to get God to be pleased with you by the nature of your devotion or your commitment to him. That is a religious lie. That is the lie that the Pharisees were living in the time of Jesus. And at the core of the ministry of Jesus was an attempt to take these two truths, God so loved the world and love the Lord your God, and put them into the right order. The order is God loves you first and you love him second. Yeah. The Christian faith is not your pursuit of God. It is your response to God's pursuit of you. Yeah. The Christian faith is not your pursuit of God. It is your response to God's pursuit of you. And yes, we're supposed to pursue God, but in the right order. If you put your pursuit of God before God's pursuit of you, your Christian life becomes a lie. But if you put God's pursuit of you before your pursuit of him, then your Christian life becomes a response to God's pursuit of you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the core truth of the gospel. For God so loved the world, meaning God was loving you before you knew what love was. God was loving you before the foundation of the world. God was loving you before you had a capacity to receive his love. God was loving you before you had a capacity to respond to his love. And there's something called responsibility. 
And all responsibility is, is an ability to respond. Before you receive God's love, you have no responsibility to love God because you have no ability to respond to love that you have not received. Now, last Sunday, I talked about vision. And I talked about how throughout the pages of Scripture, God is getting a, trying to get us to see something. Because if you can see a vision clearly, then you can believe it fervently, and then you can pursue it consistently, and that's how visions become reality. The core vision that God is trying to get us to see throughout the pages of Scripture is the, is the vision of His love. He wants us to see clearly how deeply He loves us, how bountiful His love is toward us. It goes beyond all knowledge of anything that we could ever think or imagine. His love is deeper than anything we could ever imagine. And God, throughout the pages of Scripture, is attempting to open our eyes to the depths of His love. Because if we can see His love and then believe His love, we will very naturally pursue His love. Now, religion is when you're constantly feeling guilty and ashamed and condemned because you don't love God good enough. That's the nature of religion. Religion creates shame. Religion creates fear. But there is no fear in love, and there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so if it's bringing you into condemnation, shame, and fear, you know it's not the love of God. Because perfect love drives out all fear. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And then John says, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and gave His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Do you see what John is trying to do? Is put God's love for us and our love for God into the proper order of operations. Because if you get the order of operations wrong, you're trying to love a God who doesn't love you. You're trying to adore a God who doesn't adore you. And that's hard work. It's hard work to try to love a God that you don't believe loves you. If you don't have knowledge of his love, you have no capacity to love him in response. But when the revelation of how much he loves you and the nature of his love begins to explode in your heart, you very naturally love him in response. You can't help it. Yeah. It's a reflex. This is why Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Translation, if you know I love you, you'll love me. And if you love me, keeping my commandments won't be a big deal for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Won't be hard. It's just natural. Yeah. Why? Because you won't want to break the heart of the one that loves you so, de so deeply. so desperate. When you know how much someone loves you, you don't want to break their heart. Yeah. It's just natural. Now, two examples come to mind. The first example that comes to mind was when my daughter was a baby. And when she was a baby, she had no, I'm sorry, is she in the room right now? Oh, she hates when I tell stories. Sorry, baby, I, I apologize in advance. I'll repent later. You know what she told me? She's like, stop telling stories about me. It's disrespectful. <laughs> it's not disrespectful. It's because of how much I love you. But when she was a baby, all of us, when we were babies, we had no capacity for response as infants. You're first born, you have a capacity to receive love, but not to give it back. Yeah. That is the nature of inf infancy. Yeah. And there's also no demand for you to give it back. Yeah. 
You don't come out of the womb with your parents going, love me. Show me your love. You don't love me enough. Parents never do that. They just lavish you with their love. And what happens is as you begin to mature, your child learns how to reciprocate love. And I remember Alethea was probably about 18 months, and I would hold her and, and rock her and pat her because she was fussy, and Sonny and I would have to walk around holding her, and she loved to be, some babies don't like to be patted. Alethea liked to be vigorously patted, <laughs> almost slapped. You had to like vigorously, you know, bounce her and, and pat her back like this. And I remember one day I was holding her, singing to her and patting her back like this, and all of a sudden she starts patting my back back. She's giving me back the love that I've given her. No obligations, natural. Children learn how to love because they've been loved. A child that doesn't know how to love has not been loved. Love is natural, not an obligation. It's just a natural response. Second illustration that comes to mind. There was a woman that I was asked to visit in the hospital several years ago who was at the end of her life. She was told she had stomach pain and she was rushed to emergency and she was told that she had about two weeks to live, that there was a, a, a cancerous tumor in her stomach that was the size of a grapefruit. And she was terrified. Her daughter called me and asked me to go to the hospital to visit her. So I went to the hospital and I sat with her and I asked her, I said, um, have you ever been to church before? And she said, I've only visited church one time, your church. It's the only church experience I've ever had. I said, well, do you know anything about Jesus or the Bible or the gospel? She said, no, I don't know anything. I said, do you mind if I share with you for a little while? She said, please do. And when I walked in, she was so afraid. She was holding the covers up over her face. She was scared to death. I mean, she's just been told she's going to die in one to two weeks. And I didn't know where to start. I'm thinking she has no context. So I thought, I'm just going to tell her the story. And I started with Abraham. And I told her the whole story of the Bible in about an hour. I took about an hour to tell her the whole story. And as I started to tell the story, she started to get immersed in the story and the cover started coming down and she started to creep up and she was spellbound by the story. And then I told her of the birth of Christ. And then I told her of the betrayal of Christ and of the crucifixion of Christ. And when I got to the crucifixion of Christ, she was devastated. She had never heard this before. And the look of pain in her face and sorrow. And she said, wait, why? Why did he have to die? And I said, all of us have done wrong, right? She said, yeah. I said, well, the Bible calls that sin. All of us have committed sins. She said, yeah, that's true. I said, all of us deserve to be punished for our sins. She said, yeah, I believe that. That's true. I said, he took the punishment for all of our sins. All of our sins were laid upon him, and he was put to death, and he took the punishment for all of our sins upon him. And she went, oh, that makes sense. And I thought, no, it doesn't. <laughs> In the natural, it doesn't make any sense. It only makes sense if God is giving you the spirit of faith. I knew God was giving her instant faith. She goes, that makes sense. And then when I got to the resurrection, she looked like she was ready to explode with joy. Yeah. When I finished with the resurrection, she grabbed my hand and said, let's pray right now. She didn't know nothing about the sinner's prayer. She just knew instinctively, I got to pray right now. And I took her hands and led her in the sinner's prayer. 
when she got finished saying the sinner's prayer and committing her life to Jesus, she wouldn't let my hands go. I tried to let her hands go, and she goes, no, 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 keep praying, please, pray again, pray again. So I start praying a little more, and I try to let her hands go. She goes, no, 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 don't stop, pray again, pray more. And then she takes over and starts praying, and she starts going, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. And then all of a sudden, this is what she says, Jesus, you're so beautiful. I love you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Oh, I, and she starts declaring her love for Jesus. Who taught her that? Nobody taught her that. She didn't even know Matthew 22, 37 or whatever. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind. She didn't know that. It was just her natural, reflexive response. And later her daughter came in and she was, I had left already, and she was beaming and when her daughter walked in, she says, baby, Jesus is so real. He starts preaching the gospel to her whole family. And her daughter says, what happened? And she said, Jesus came in the room and I saw him. She literally encountered him when we were praying. She's like, he's so beautiful. He's more beautiful than you can ever imagine. I love him so much. She received his love and immediately loved him in response. Yeah, 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 yeah. Amen. And she died with a smile on her face. And went home to be with her Lord. Yeah. That was the most powerful experience I ever had. Is seeing this woman meet Jesus. Yeah. In such a powerful way. Yeah. Now, there's this passage of scripture in, in Luke chapter 7. Where, uh, Luke chapter 7 verse 36 and following. 36 through 50 where one of the Pharisees, you don't have to put it up. But one of the Pharisees asks Jesus, invites him to his house to eat. And Jesus goes over to this Pharisee's house to eat. It's interesting that Jesus hung out with the Pharisees all the time. It seems like they were mortal enemies, right? You know? I mean, when you read, like, some of the stuff that Jesus, woe to you Pharisees and teachers of the law, you hypocrites, you brood of vipers, you, you whitewashed tombs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he was like, he seems like they, they were his enemies. He would get done, like, raking them over the coals, and then one of them would say, would you come to my house for dinner? He'd be like, yeah, for sure, I'll be there, let's go. See, we don't understand the grace of God. He goes to this guy's house for dinner, and all of the Pharisees realize, well, we don't realize that Jesus was actually a disciple of a prominent Pharisee. He actually was a Pharisee. But he's trying to redeem the Pharisees. Now watch this. He goes into this man's house for dinner, and all of these scribes and teachers of the law are gathered in the place, the most prominent religious leaders, the bishops, the elders, the deacons, the pastors, the superintendents, all of the religious leaders fill this house, and Jesus, is the, and Jesus is the guest of honor. So they're doing it the way they do it. And in the middle of the dinner, a woman creeps through, probably came in through the back entrance, slips through the crowd, probably crawls under the table, and she has this, this box with her, and she pulls Jesus' feet out, and in front of everybody, she breaks the box open and pours the perfume out on the feet of Jesus. And she starts crying and weeping. And her tears are washing the perfume off of the feet of Jesus, and then she's drying his feet with her hair, and then she's kissing his feet. This woman has a reputation as a woman of the night, a streetwalker, 
a prostitute. And these religious leaders are seeing this exchange happen and they are deeply offended. And they say, if this man was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is who touches his feet. Now put that passage back up. Start from where the woman, where they, where they say, this, if this man were a prophet, go a few more verses. Verse 40. And Jesus answered and said to him, watch this. The, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are thinking, if this man were a prophet, he would know what manner of woman this is who's touching his feet. Jesus answers and says to him, Simon, the master of the house, the man, the Pharisee who invited him to dinner. Jesus is addressing all of them, but he's only talking to one person. The first thing that we must understand is that whenever Jesus addresses one person, he's addressing everybody. Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Rabbi, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? He says, there was a debtor, two debtors, and one creditor. One owed 500 denarii. A denarii was a day's wages. 500 denarii was 500 days' wages, about a year and a half worth of wages. So think of the average wage, say $70,000, a year and a half of that. He owed $100,000. The other guy owed 50 denarii, which is about a month and a half, $10,000. Both of these guys come to the creditor and be like, I'm broke. I can't repay the debt. And he says, you're both forgiven. He forgives one guy a debt of $100,000. He forgives the other guy a debt of $10,000. And then he says, tell me, which one of them will love the master more? Will love the creditor more? Which one will love him more? Verse 20, uh, 43, Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Verse 44, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon. So first he's talking to Simon. Meanwhile, the woman is still here washing his feet. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon. He's looking at the woman, but he's talking to Simon. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the head of her hair. 45, you gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. Kissing was a form of greeting. You didn't even greet me. You didn't even shake my hand, Simon. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil. You didn't give me no Murray's grease. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Verse 47, therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, 
are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Verse 48, then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. We'll stop there. Notice what Jesus is not saying. What he is not saying is that this woman's sins are forgiven because of what she has just done to my feet. What she is saying is, what Jesus is saying is, she is doing this to my feet because her sins were forgiven. Do you hear me? The order of operations. Jesus is literally saying, she is pouring out her love upon me because she has experienced forgiveness. She has not received forgiveness because she has poured out her love upon me. I loved her first. And the sign that I loved her first is that she's loving me back. We love him because he first loved us. She's not trying to earn something from me. She's not trying to be approved by me. She's not doing this so that I'll look at her and say, wow, you're awesome. You're... She's not trying to get anything from me. This is her response to the fact that I gave everything to her. And because she got the revelation of my forgiveness and my love, this expression of love that she's pouring out here, that she's so compelled to do that she can't even feel the hot stares of your rejection and your judgment upon her, that she doesn't even care that she's in a room full of religious leaders who hate her, who despise her, who think that she's a dog. That she can't even feel, I mean, I don't know about you, but if I walk in a room and everybody's looking at me crazy, I feel that junk. I'm from East Oakland. You got to feel that junk. You know it. I mean, if, somebody, if somebody's looking at you crazy, the next step is they're going to do something to you if you grew up in Oakland. So you, you become skillful at feeling that. And you just get up out of there. I can't tell you. It's, I've, it's, I've had that experience multiple times. On the basketball court, on the bus, in the mall, and I just look and see people looking at me the wrong way, and I just start getting up out of there. I'm up out. She can't even feel it. She can't even feel the eyes of these religious leaders on her. It's not that she doesn't care. She's not even aware. The only thing she's aware of is how much love she's received from him, how much forgiveness she's received from him. The power that has washed her clean has taken away any capacity to feel shame in this moment. And she just can't help it. She's compelled you better believe that this woman was outside going, do I really want to do this? <laughs> but something in her compelled her. I just can't stop. I just can't stop myself. I just can't stop. The compelling that I'm sensing is so strong. Do you realize that when you receive the love of God, there's something on the inside of you that compels you. You can't stop yourself from loving him back. 
You can't stop yourself from pouring out your love on him. But the converse of this is that whenever you sense in yourself any deficit of love for God, your response to that should not be shame, condemnation, guilt, and obligation. Because I cannot tell you how many times I've heard believers say, I just don't love God enough. And I just wish I had more love for God. And so I'm going to go home and try to love God more. May I say to you that the word today is to free you from any inclination in your heart that you must try to love God more. You needn't try to love God more any more than your children must try to love you more. What would you feel if your children were feeling condemned because they felt like they just didn't love you enough? You would break anything to free them from that lie. And God would break anything to free you from that lie. But when his commandments become burdensome, And when I sense a deficit in my love and my commitment for him, the remedy is to run back to his love and to stand under the revelation of it until I can see it. Open my eyes, Father, to see how much you love me. Because the enemy is constantly trying to blind my eyes to the depth of your love. There's that scene where Jesus is getting ready to come to enter Jerusalem, coming down the Mount of Olives, the triumphal entry. But before he begins that procession towards Jerusalem, he stands at the top of the Mount of Olives and he looks down at Jerusalem and he weeps. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets and killed those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather you the way a mother hen gathers her young, but you were unwilling do you hear what Jesus is saying? I want so bad to love on you, but you won't let me. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Stop praying that you'll love God more and just pray that God would remove anything in your heart that hinders him from loving you more. You can't make yourself love him more, but what you can do is you can identify the things that hinder him from loving you more. God, remove the hindrances in my heart that keep me from coming fully into your love. Jerusalem, I wanted so badly. You missed the fact that I came to love you. I came to gather you the way a mother hen gathers her young, but you were unwilling And then we see the night that Jesus was betrayed in John's gospel after they have the Last Supper together. First they have the Passover, and then he gives them communion. And then after they're finished with communion, John tells us, having loved those who were his own, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And how did he show them his love? He took off his outer garment. He wrapped himself in a towel and he took a basin of water 
and he began to wash their feet. In our world, we don't understand the significance of that act. Because washing feet was a task that even a slave was not required to perform. Even a slave could not be asked to wash your nasty feet. Even the greatest, wealthiest, most powerful leaders in the ancient world washed their own feet. Jesus says, I'm desperate to show you the full extent of my love for you. And he humbles himself below the status of a slave before his disciples. And he begins to wash their feet. I love you so much that I'm willing to cleanse you in the areas of the most nasty and the deepest and the darkest places in your life. And I'm not ashamed of those places. And he gets to Peter. And I could just see Peter sitting there weeping, saying, Lord, I can't let you do it. You should be asking us to wash your feet. We're willing to humble ourselves beneath slaves to serve you. Just command us and we will take turns washing your feet. You are Lord. You are King. You are God. You should command us to wash your feet. We'll do it. We love you that much, Lord. No, Peter. I would never ask you to love me in a way that I haven't loved you. There's no way you could do it. It would be religious. I can't let you love me in a way that's deeper than I love you. It's not possible, Peter. I have to humble myself. I got to show you that I love you more than you could ever love me. I love you more than you could ever love yourself. But if you can't allow me to love you in this way, you can have no part of me. And Peter says, then not just my feet, but also my head and my hands. Jesus, I've already washed your head and your hands. The only thing you need is your feet. I got you. As a parent, there's a desperation. Every parent feels it. I just want my children to know how deeply I love them. And everything I do is to show them that. And sometimes I show it in the wrong way. And sometimes I fail to show it when I should show it. But what doesn't change is that the only thing I want is for them to know how deeply I love them. Order of operations. This is the Father's heart. Some of us have been living in a lie. Because you feel more responsible for your relationship with God than God is responsible for your relationship with Him. You feel like you are the prime mover and God will only respond to you. Today, God wants to order your heart and mind so that you know that He sought you before you ever sought Him that he called you before you ever called him, that he loved you before you ever loved him. 
and that the revelation of his love is greater than any other revelation that he could possibly give you. Bow your heads, let's pray. If uh, Jasmine could come back to the keyboard. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would release this revelation like napalm in the house. I pray for an atomic bomb of revelation in every heart, that there would be an explosion of the knowledge of the breadth and width and height and depth of your love. I pray, Father, today that every soul in this house would be given power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Lord, so much that we're doing that's taking so much energy, that's so hard, that takes so much of our striving and so much of our sacrifice is hard simply because We've gotten the order of operations wrong. You said that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And Father, today I pray that you would replace our burden with your burden. That you would break from us the yoke that is hard. The yoke of the Pharisees was hard. The yoke of the Sadducees was hard. The yoke of the world is hard, but you said my yoke is easy. The yoke of the Pharisees says, love him first, then he'll love you. The yoke of Jesus says, no, 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 no. I loved you first, so you can love me. And it's not hard. It's easy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. But Father, we need a revelation of your love in order to enter into that burden that is light, that yoke that is easy. And you said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God, we're weary and heavy laden trying to love you but failing and trying to serve you but failing and trying to live up to your commands and expectations but failing. And we're failing and failing and failing and coming into condemnation and coming into shame because we're trying to do it by our own power. But today you have invited us, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Rest. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and lift the heavy burden from every shoulder right now in the name of Jesus and replace it with the burden that is easy and the yoke that is light, the yoke that is easy and the burden that is light. I thank you, Father. I thank you that you've paid the price. And I thank you that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I thank you. What shall separate us? Whom shall separate us from the love of God? Who shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. We are convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are convinced of this today, Father. We will declare it with our dying breath that nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. That you loved me before the foundation of the world. And Father, I pray that you would strengthen each and every one of my brothers and sisters under the sound of my voice. Strengthen them with might in their inner being by your spirit that Christ might dwell in their hearts through faith. 
and that they being rooted and established in love might be given power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. You've been carrying such a heavy burden, but the Lord says to you, my son, my daughter, let me carry you now. You've carried such a heavy burden, but the Lord says, now I'm going to carry you. I have no controversy with you. I have no controversy with you. You are approved. You are favored. Trust in my love. Lord, just release trust in your love. Release trust in your love. Rest. You, you can rest knowing that you're loved. You can sleep. You can rest. Some of you are troubled at night. Night terrors, anxiety at night. God wants to set you free today. It's rest that comes through his love. Trust in my love. Psalm 125, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but endures forever as the mountains surround Jerusalem. So the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but endures forever as the mountains surround Jerusalem. So the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. The angel of the Lord encamps all about those who fear him and he delivers them. I declare that the angel of the Lord is encamping all about you and he is delivering you. He surrounds you. He is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. The revelation of his love is all you need. You'll naturally respond to it. You can't help but respond to it. Holy Spirit, release us into the fullness of the revelation of the love of God and set us free from everything that would hinder us from remaining in your love. Let God love you. Let that be your prayer every day. Lord, help me to let you love me. Help me to let you love me. Wherever I'm hindering your love, set me free. Wherever I'm putting my hand up and stopping your love, set me free. Holy Spirit is just hovering over this audience right now, over this congregation right now. All the way through the live stream in every home, the Holy Spirit is moving on your heart. Just receive it. Say yes to him. Say yes to the love of Christ. Say yes to the love of Christ. There's nothing more powerful than the power of his love. His love frees you. You don't free yourself. There's security in his love. There's safety in his love. Thank you, Lord, to break every chain. Break every chain. And just Since we just need to linger, just let that sink in. Let your heart marinate in that truth. The transition is happening in your heart. The freedom is happening in your heart. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, to break every chain. Break every chain. Break every chain, yes, God, to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. There is power in the love of Jesus. Power in the love. There is power in the love. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
power in the love of Jesus to break every chain to break every chain break every chain break every chain to break every chain break every chain break every chain there is power there is power in the love of Jesus there is power in the love of Jesus there is power Every chain is broken right now. By the power of the love of Jesus, every chain is broken right now. Every chain of condemnation is broken right now. Every chain of shame is broken right now. Every chain of demonic belittlement has been broken over your life right now. You are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. 
It's his love that makes you more than a conqueror. You are more than conquerors through him who loved you. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Every chain is broken right now. Now give him a shout of praise. We praise you, God. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, God. We give you praise. We give you glory and we give you honor that there's freedom in your love and there's rest in your love. We thank you. Amen and amen and amen and amen and amen and amen. You got it? You got it? Come on, somebody. Now you're going to live in it. Now you're going to walk it out. Walk it out. Walk it out. You're going to walk it out all week long. Walk it out. Come on, say it. Walk it out. Now you got to walk it out. All week long, you got to walk it out. Come on, somebody. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. May the joy of the Lord be your strength. May his favor be your strength.